Hey guys, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. On today's episode, I have a very special person in my mind, special to me, come on the pod today. It's Preston Darger, who has been a friend of mine. We'll get into it, but I've known him since about the age of 14, I believe. And we go through a couple things. The reason why I wanted to bring Preston on is, I mean, he's got a cool history in athletic marketing that's kind of fun to hear about for some people with BYU that helps set him up for a lot of success in his life. Uh, which of one of which right now is that he's working at Delta headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. He's got a wife, he's got two boys and he's doing quite well, but I really wanted to pick Preston's brain on a few things because Preston is a great example of just being loving and very kind. Just like very loyal, nice guy. He's always been a great friend to me personally, and he and I could not be more different in some ways. I mean, that's not that's probably not true. Right? We could be a lot more different in a lot of ways, but uh, our approach to kind of how we live the gospel, I wouldn't say is unique or even that different, but I just wanted to pick his brain on a couple things because he has a way of living that I'm not really used to in some ways. He's he's great at being a friend to all. He's great at being welcoming and loving, and I try to be loving, but I don't think it comes as natural to me, quite frankly, I'll be honest, but... Um, and I wanted to kind of pick his brain about how he kind of toes that line of living the gospel, being a true believer and setting that as his foundation and where the line is for enabling others in sin, criticizing the church or whatever else, you know, and we cover kind of a lot of those topics and Preston had some great insights and things that were certainly helpful to me personally. And so I thought it'd be nice to share that with everybody else out there. And so I hope you all enjoy this. I hope it resonates. I hope you all have been having a great week post-Halloween hangover. I hope that hasn't been too bad. And I hope you all are gearing up for a great weekend. Um, Don't have much more to talk about, but uh, BYU football is in the top 15 of the college football playoffs, so that was fun news. Other than that, I'll just plan on getting back to y'all next Monday. Have a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. It, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes the, the Mormons, Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, today on the podcast, we've got one of my oldest friends at this point, Preston Darger, who I've known since, what, the age of like 14, 15? That sounds about right. This is going to be one of the most embarrassing things that I've ever shared on the podcast, but it was from EFY. <laughs> EFY. Uh, yep. The, the only day. year I went to EFY, and it changed I ate. It changed my life. I got one of my lifelong friends. Um, I remember being at EFY, by the way, and being like, this is amazing. I love this. The spirit is so strong. I love all these people. And I was like, I'm definitely, I'll definitely be back next year. And then the following Monday, I was like, I'm not, I don't like going back. I don't really care. <laughs> I miss my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I don't know. Like they get you while you're there, but yeah. there's a lot um, of people to drink. Yeah, exactly. And they do a good job. They may, I mean, obviously, they make it very social and everything. And I think they do a great job, too, for kids that aren't that social. They kind of mm-hmm. forces them into it. And I think EFY can be a good thing in a lot of ways. It's over-the-top touchy-feely. It's like it's like if Hank Smith were an event, he'd be <laughs> EFY. Yeah, I think – and I think for the kids from outside of Utah, it's a game-changer. You know, kids that don't have I agree. 40 kids in their youth program that – just want to meet another LDS kid that has the same standards. Yeah, I'm from Idaho, so I can't really claim, you know, I grew up very similar to you did in, in Utah. But but for Aubrey, who grew up in Connecticut, it was what she looked forward to every year just to meet, like, a cute Mormon boy. Like, that's, you know, that's what EFY served its purpose for. So, 
but yeah, it, everyone has a, has an opinion, but I can imagine, you know, it was just like mutual times 45, you know, going to, yeah, work. it was. And, you know, little did Aubrey know that the cute boy that she would meet that would later become her husband wasn't on EFY after all it was on her on his mission yes 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 hey. so how mad was your mission president when, when he found out you kissed her on your mission hey now hey now <laughs> hey we're already starting with the lies but uh no funny enough my mission mom was so supportive like you know I told her that oh I knew Aubrey Carter she's in the Stanford ward she goes, oh, she's cute. You should totally date her after the mission. I was like, well, if your mission mom's giving you permission, then I'm going to run with it. So she was super supportive. It just took 10 years, you know, to climb out of that friend zone. But we got there. There was a lot of back and forth with you too. Weren't, weren't there like two or three that like you guys had this back and forth and it just never fully worked out until yeah, finally? Yeah. yeah. I, like, I liked her for a long time. She liked me for a little bit. And, you know, she was in New York. I was in Utah. So it was hard to gain momentum in dating. Yeah. Um, and then like, I don't know how to explain it other than just heavenly father saying now's the right time. Things clicked. And, uh, and we got married, you know, like three months or four months after we started dating seriously, but it was quick. I remember that. Yeah. I yeah, remember you were right that. there during all of that. That's right, man. I went out to that wedding out in New York and it was amazing. It was oh, so glad you one were of there. the coolest weddings I've ever been to. Yeah. I ruined my soup from it. Did I ever tell you that? <laughs> no. What happened? Yeah. So, I still wear this suit every now and then because it's subtle enough where like you don't totally recognize it unless you're like right next to me. Yeah. Um, but I had uh, this nice custom fitted blue suit. Um, and when we did the sparklers for you guys coming off of the boat. So just to put in perspective, we had been on this amazing yacht for your wedding dinner and reception. And this yacht was going. But it was a boat. It was a yacht. That thing was dope. And it had an ups, like the roof, like for dancing and all that stuff. And then it had like this middle area for more dancing or like um, a total dinner area too. I got relegated to the singles table with a bunch of people I didn't know, but that's what happens. Sounds about right. Um, it went in front of the Statue of Liberty for a while at night. It was right in front of the One World, was it called the One World Trade Center? Uh-huh. Freedom Tower? I don't know. Um, just amazing. Just incredible one of the like the most scenic um reception i've been to by far like nothing ever like everything else pales in comparison and it was amazing it was an amazing experience we get off the yacht the boat or whatever you want to call it and we uh get the sparklers ready for you guys to come off the boat and come down in between the two lines and as we were lighting the sparklers one of them like shot over to me on my jacket and started like, and on my sleeve, like it got a couple spots oh, and I didn't even recognize it was actually one of your friend's wives that was like, <laughs> Oh crap. Oh crap. And she was like hitting at my jacket and then we put it out, but my jacket got ruined. Not, wow. not, not so much that I don't wear it. So I still wear it every no. now and then, but if people find them, like they see it and they notice it, I'm like, yeah, whatever. It was fire. I don't care. My favorite experience from that was, the night before I got married, we were in New York. I didn't have a lot of friends in New York at the time. So you and friends that had come from out of town, we decided to do karaoke in uh, Koreatown that night. Maybe it was Chinatown. Anyways, we go do karaoke the night before the wedding. And Harper doesn't know everyone there, but knows a few people. And chooses his first <laughs> karaoke song as Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. And, and, and those that know Harper know he commits. And he went yeah, into true. this 110%. And I, I've known Harper a long, long time. had never seen the side of him. Uh, and anyways, we all kind of got to know Harper a little bit more intimately that night with uh, some karaoke fun. And that, that rings true in my mind of the best memory of that trip. What's the point of doing karaoke if you're not going to go 110%, man? Hey, What's the point? Preach, brother. Preach. Yeah. Uh, that was a fun night. I actually remember we we hit that pretty hard for a while. It was like a pseudo bachelor party with your friend, some the two of your friends that were there besides me with their wives. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, nothing, nothing like a, a friend's wife at a bachelor party. But hey, exactly, no, we did, we had a fun time for sure. Um, that, a memory I'll never forget. That's for sure. But I uh, I wanted to bring you on for a few reasons. Before we get to that, though, you guys are out in Georgia right now. Got two, one kid and pregnant. Two bo- no, two boys. We just had our, oh. our second little boy. You just had your second. Sorry, man. It's hard yeah, to keep no, up sometimes. 
<laughs> I have like 36 nieces and nephews now. I feel like I have the ultimate excuse to forget no, these things. No, that's very understandable. Yes, I'm not yeah. positive. I know all my nieces and nephews' names. I'm hey. not even kidding. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm impressed that that's the standard, but congratulations. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, anyway. <laughs> um, but so, okay, you got two boys now. What's yeah. the, what, uh, you've two got. Boys. So we've got uh, Wells is our oldest. Wells, yeah, which is like the most East Coast name. Yeah, his full I can name think is of. Wellington. <laughs> Wellington, that's right. That's yeah. right. So we have Wellington, who's three, and then we have Harrison, who's three months. Nice. Yeah. And you recently just moved out the last few months because you had an interesting job experience. You got your MBA from BYU, and then you got a job offer really quickly from Delta, which like is pretty telling. Like it's like Delta really wanted you. So like early on into your second, I think it was even before you started your second year at the MBA, right? Yeah, yeah. Delta already extended an offer. Yeah. yeah. And you're thinking, well, this is awesome. I can basically just coast now. I don't have to worry about going to all these job fairs and whatever else. And so then all of a sudden COVID hits your second semester and things start kind of shutting down. You probably didn't even go to school for most of that semester. Yeah. Not as big of a deal. But then Delta all of a sudden says, hey, guess what? We don't have a spot for you anymore. Yeah. But you can maybe stick around for a year. And we'll see what happens in a year. Maybe yeah. like we've got it on hold, if you will, but we can't hire you right now. Yeah, it was it was an interesting time. It was one of those where, I mean, I was flustered. Obviously, I had worked hard for this. I felt like I had gotten the offer and worked and and deserved it. But I, it was at the same time I couldn't blame Delta. I mean, it was the middle of a pandemic. It was the beginning of the pandemic where everyone was just trying to figure out not only the economy but health and what the what is COVID and what are protocols and what is quarantine. And so I was flustered, but I also couldn't blame Delta. It was more just mad at the environment, the situation. And so I ended up staying around Utah for another year, found a great job at Lendio, which is a fintech company in Lehigh, Utah, which was amazing. I loved my time there. Um, but then Delta called me back and said, hey, we actually have a spot for you if you wanted to come on, you know, summer of 2021. And and I couldn't pass it up. Delta has been my dream for a long time. And so so yeah, we moved out to Atlanta this past summer and and have fallen in love. This is a it's a great place out here in Georgia. We live in a suburb called Peachtree City. Um and just by the name of the town, you can tell it's a pretty pretty awesome place. It's uh it's an awesome suburb. We have a golf cart. We drive our golf cart to the store, to church on Sunday. It's just like a very quaint, peaceful, quiet community and and we love it. It's the south and the gen and the southern hospitality is is a real thing. Um, did, did Delta guarantee you that they'd hire you eventually? Or was that not, a, was that not even a guarantee? No, it was more of like, Hey, your resume is at the top of our pile. When we can open up, you know, keep us in mind, we'll keep you in mind. And so I was at Lendio thinking I would be there for a while. I loved it. Yeah. I, like I wasn't, it wasn't a stop gap. It was more of a, I need to find something for the next one to three to five years. Who knows how long. Um, and it turned out being on the shorter end of that spectrum because Delta called back sooner than I anticipated. But I mean, that was a blessing in disguise for us to, to be able to come here, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I totally get that. So you, Georgia seems like a dope place. You're, uh, you are the uh, quickest and newest Braves fan yeah. I mean, I've ever <laughs> seen. Me, you got a lot of crap for that on Twitter. Defend myself for 30 seconds. A, those Please do, because you're going to need to. Those that know me best know I am a... I am a very casual baseball fan. I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy going to the game and being there and cheering on teams because I served my mission in New York and married a New Yorker. I like the, the, the Yankees, but you know, beyond the excitement of Aaron judge, they haven't really done much on the field to give me much to cheer for. And so when I moved to Atlanta, I went to a few games over the summer and just kind of caught the excitement because people, baseball is religion here and people get so enthralled with the Braves and they were just hitting their hot streak. If you remember, they had a terrible regular season, but come summer and fall, they started to really play well. And so I went to a few games and kind of got to know the players a little bit. Delta is a huge corporate sponsor. So they, you know, were able to, to support us at the games and give us some tickets. And, um, and then the playoff run has just been contagious. And so I fully admit that I jumped on at a very convenient time. Uh, but, and I'm not trying to defend that and I'm not a lifelong Braves fan, a lifelong baseball fan for that matter, but it's so fun to live in a city with your team in the world series that I am thoroughly enjoying it. It is so fun to watch. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, I like all the credit to our fan, like, you know, Kevin Kindred, Preston Norton, two of my closest friends, lifelong Braves fans. They deserve this more than I do, but I'm just enjoying the ride. <laughs> it's like they've been running the marathon and you just started at mile 23 and a half. Yeah. yeah. And I'll get the same like, medal. Hey guys, let's hold hands while we cross the finish line together. Yeah. Why don't you carry me? I'm like, you bastard, but okay. <laughs> I know. I And I will take the crap because it is deserved, but uh, I'm still going to enjoy it. I mean, it's not like the Braves have been a tortured fan base. They were they were hot in the '90s. That's a big reason why those guys are probably Braves fans in the first place, right? Totally. Yeah. Isn't that the age old excuse? They were the only team that would play on television as a kid growing up. Yeah, everyone loved them because of CBS. One hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that actually falls in line a lot with kind of why I wanted to bring you on and talk to you a little bit more about this topic because. At least I think there's a connection there, and maybe I'm wrong, but it does seem like you adapt well to your surroundings, and that clearly is a strength. Like it's a gift of yours. Um, you like people. Mm-hmm. You love being around people. You love having relationships with people. Uh, that showed a lot with when you worked at BYU Athletic Marketing. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, it seems like you guys retroactively—not that you didn't get a lot of credit while you were there—but it seems like you're retroactively getting even more credit with stuff that you've set up while you were in the athletic marketing program at BYU because of all the traditions and things that they have as a student section and whatever else. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's, it's fun. I think, I mean, we definitely established a foundation and, and it's our, our whole goal was to like gain momentum and that momentum has continued to build. So, I mean, it could have died any year with lack of lack of leadership or people that weren't invested. So while I definitely helped set it up and, and kind of build that foundation, which I'm thrilled I mean, every single year has made it better and better and better. And so it's not like, you know, I deserve all the credit. I'm, I was happy to be a part of the, the beginning of The Rock and kind of how that all got started. Uh, but I mean, every year it seems to get stronger and better and the traditions continue and then new, new traditions start. So I'm thrilled. I, it's better than we imagined it ever would be and stronger than we ever imagined it would be. You know, tickets are selling out. They're coming, you know, they're coming early. They're cheering loud and they're making a difference. I mean, that game. I don't even remember the opponent. Who was it? It was Arizona, Arizona State. State. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those those false starts on that drive yeah. were a game changer. That was like all the students. Directly related to, to The Rock. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm pumped to be a part of that. The Rock, which, by the way, I remember you – that was a – like, that, that was – that was your creation, wasn't it? It was well. It was it was JJ DeLuigi. If you remember JJ, he was a he was I an do. intern for the marketing team, and so oh, him and Brian Fagan, Bill Hoops, David Almodova, and myself were kind of in a room. We probably had fifty names on a board, and the roar of Cougars, the Rock, kind of always came because we thought about. I mean, we're marketers. We thought about like the imagery and like all the music that ties into to what like the Rock is, and and all the different types of like. Uh, just assets that you could use with the idea of a rock. Which, by how... the way, I feel like you guys have never fully taken advantage of that. No, I, I agree. I think there's a lot more to like, be done. I remember we even talked about, I think you, you probably brought this up, and it is a pretty good movie. It's classic Nicolas Cage, but The Rock, the movie, when totally. Sean Connery turns around and says, welcome to The Rock, like that was never used. No. How is or, that possible? Or, or any of like the, or using The Rock, Dwayne Johnson as... I mean, yeah, there's yeah, probably yeah. a lot of money involved in all of this, but Copyright there's a lot of potential there, yeah. with like my dream that never came to fruition. I wanted to have a big rock that we took from Y Mountain at the bottom of the team tunnel that the team would hit as they come onto the field to like represent their unity with the students. And we tried it once or twice. Bryce Lake and I took the BYU marketing van up to the Y and stole a rock off of it and drove it back down mm-hmm. and put it in the tunnel. And it's a tradition that never caught on. So when you think of all the great traditions that have happened, you know, that means that five traditions have not happened that we tried. So, but nothing. Too many players cutting their hands up against that rock yeah. like, ah, right before a exactly. game. Yeah. Bleeding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coach pulled yeah. that one real quick. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> like, who are these idiots that thought of this? <laughs> Bryce and I are in the corner. Oh, it's yeah. We want to be involved. Bryce and you, Bryce and you turn into that Spider Man meme of pointing <laughs> at each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness uh, no that's funny no honestly suffice it to say you guys have done a good job and had some long lasting ideas that have that are fun to kind of see play out still and it's cool that some the credit still seems to be there not that that's yeah, what you did it for yeah. but i bring that up because you actually introduced me to a ton of people hmm. in fact it's funny i was at the game at the virginia game with my nephew and um it was showing like 
Bronco. It was showing the coaching staff. And I was like, oh, there's Kelly Papinga. There's yeah. uh, Jason Beck, like all those guys. And I was like, I played basketball with all those guys. Totally. And my nephew was like stunned. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, used to play like every Tuesday, Thursday, yeah. just like a bunch of people. And, and I was like, they're really good guys. Like I remember really hitting it off with Kelly Papinga specifically. Yeah. He's just fun to play with. Nick Howell was fun to play with too. Um, and even Jason Beck, Jason yeah. Beck had a quite, he's quite the three point shot actually. Seriously. Great um, shot. But that was you, that was your connection, uh, getting yeah. set up to play with those guys and everything. And just a lot of people that I met through that. And I bring that up once again, to finally finish why I bring this up is because you seem to have that gift of connectivity, hmm. right? If there's of those three things that it talks about on the tipping point, mm -hmm. Malcolm Gladwell's the tipping point, right? You have Maven, Connector, and something else. I can't remember. Um, but that's not as important because you're a connector. No question. Yeah. You're a connector. You, you bring people together. And I think it's because ultimately you like people. Now, what I ultimately want to talk about, and this specifically is in the context of the church, hmm. especially living in Utah. Now, granted, in some ways, it's easier to be a representative of the church outside of Utah, I think. That's understandable. Because there's a certain expectation that you have to match now that, that people have of you. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Utah, that's a huge gray area all of a sudden. Yeah. Because you have tons of members of the church that live kind of by their own standard or their own philosophy or however that may work, which is yeah. kind of natural. I'm not saying that it's yeah. unique to Utah, but it's like whenever you get a large group of people in an organization, a lot of those lines become a little bit more blurry. Yes. But nowadays, it seems like we're starting to see a lot more vitriol get, get thrown out there. And I, that's something I've talked about before. I feel like that's something I've even, I've gotten caught up in that where it's mm. like, hey, like, at what point do I want to be a defender of the church and the gospel versus uh, somebody that just like loves people? Yeah. And that's why I brought you on because I feel like now... I don't want to go assuming whatever it says in your patriarchal blessing, but I wouldn't be surprised for a second if you had the gift of charity mm. in your patriarchal blessing, because that's just how I know you. No, that's, that's just kind. who you are. It's like, it's your heart and you love people. So what I want to ask you is how do you toe that line between loving others while also standing up for what you believe in? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something, it's funny when you texted me and asked, Hey, do you mind coming on the podcast? That's immediately where my mind went to of just, We've, we've had these conversations over lunch countless times of just love and th and that the balance between defending the faith um, and what that all means. And I think I've been trying to think about in my mind um, how to put it into words. And I think the easiest way to describe it is a sphere of influence. Um, and, you know, if you imagine a sphere of influence, for me, I'm a dad and I'm a husband. And that's right now my most important important sphere of influence is my family. Um, and at other times in my life, it's been different. You know, I, I served in young men's. I know you've served in the youth. And so at that time, my sphere of influence was maybe a little bit bigger, or was working with young men's in the congregation, um, or maybe it was in an elder's quorum or um, whatever it might be. But we all have different spheres of influence. And and I'm a simple-minded person. I, I'm not into deep doctrine. I don't consider myself a scriptorian. Um, I try to know as enough as I need to, to, um, keep the commandments and to do, you know, and I kind of focus on the great two commandments. I think that's where I can really make the most difference and be the happiest is loving God and loving others. Um, and I think everything else falls in line. And so when I bring up spheres of influence, I guess our generation, and I know, I mean, you studied this in your PhD, you know, this better than most, but I think our generation really has distorted their sphere of influence due to social media. And some of it's for better and some of it's, in my opinion, for worse. Um, but they, you know, because we believe that we have these audiences on social media or wherever it might be, um, our idea is that our sphere of influence is maybe artificially bigger than it really is. And so, you know, we start sharing opinions and sharing thoughts and defending the faith, which is not a bad thing by any means. Um, but I might argue that that's not the, the, always the most productive platform because your sphere of influence are those people that you can influence the most because you love them, you care about them, or simply, you know, them the best. And, and so I think I've just, I've tried to separate those things in my life. I've tried to defend the faith in my sphere of influence, and I've tried to love everybody because that's what we've been commanded to do. Um, and I try to separate that from 
you know, other things like what I see on social media or even, even, you know, casual friendships or work friendships. Um, and, and obviously in a perfect world, I hope that I can be a missionary and share the gospel with those people that I am around often that don't have our, don't share our faith. Um, but, but I try to take a very natural and organic approach to that, uh, because my sphere of influence is a lot smaller than I think many assume, you know, people might assume, well, I have X number of followers on Twitter, so they all need to hear what I have to say about X. And, and I just don't think that's the case for me personally. And so, um, that, that's kind of how I've tried to verbalize my desire to be kind to everyone because everyone deserves that. And then when it comes to my sphere of influence and those that I know and trust in my circle, I will vehemently defend the faith and, um, and share the gospel and do what I know is best and help and serve. Um, but I think that's where I can focus the most uh, and do the most good. And that's a long-winded answer, but that's kind of where I've tried to verbalize those thoughts. No, I actually love that, man. I think you bring up an amazing point with the spheres of influence, which by the way, where'd you hear that? That's, I like that, why that's, I've never heard to, that before. It goes to my sister, Liz Darter on that one. She's, she's, yeah. she taught me a lot about that in her, in her example. Yeah, that's cool. Now I was actually going to bring Liz up here in a second because that's also related to kind of, I, I think you guys are both very similar in that regard, but um, I like the point that you bring up that it's like, What's the point on social media? And I think there is a point sometimes, but yeah. there that has its limitations. There's no question, which is what you're talking about. And specifically something that I've talked about before on this podcast, actually, a few times is that, you know, it's important. Now, it's funny because, and you said this, and I've said this, like, it's important to defend the faith. But actually, I feel like I remember hearing Elder Bednar, somebody told me recently, Elder Bednar said, we actually no longer need defenders. Hmm. Like we're good. And I can't, I got to find that quote. Yeah. Cause like you and I, I mean, I think, I think the principle of what elder Bednar is saying is like, you and I already understood that. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not like, this isn't something where we don't tend to be vitriolic period. No, you yeah. certainly aren't like, well, you don't and, have and it's not, and it's not on us. Right. Like that may not right. be my yeah. responsibility. But my point had been before that as soon as, and this is what I love about kind of the book of Mormon and specifically what it talks about with the Nephites when they had their most like their bloodiest wars with the Lamanites, it talks about how reluctant they were to take up arms. Hmm. And in some cases, like with the anti-Nephi Lehi's or the people of Ammon, whoever you want to refer to them, um, they didn't want, they didn't actually take up arms yeah, right? because they understood there was a true weakness there. And I think applying that to nowadays is as soon as we love the fight itself more than what we're actually defending mm. or fighting for, if that makes sense, yeah, we've lost it. We've lost the point. God is probably no longer on our side. And the way I put it is that my speculation is that near the end of the, you know, the last days in the Book of Mormon, the reason why God left the Nephites and he wasn't on their side either was because I, I think they genuinely loved killing Lamanites. Hmm. What I, think, I think, wow. yeah. I think that's that's kind of they 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 had this mindset of I don't want to like they've lost the whole point which was to be this religious people of God and it was like we just hate them and yeah. I want to kill them because yeah. I like killing them and I love that more than the gospel itself and at that point they probably lost what the gospel even was at by then but and it, and it probably started with this idea this this genuine idea of we're doing what we think is best or we're doing right. what we've been asked to do and then quickly takes a left turn and uh, and ends up in a place where they are separated from the spirit because of that. Uh, that desire has changed from defending the faith to killing or to bloodshed or whatever that might be. Yeah, exactly. Taking taking joy in others' pain, right? Which, yeah, what is that's that? a great what way to call say that. that. That's fraud or whatever they call that. Mm. Um, I, and, and the reason why I like talking about this, or at least I find it very interesting, is because I'm one of those that has a hard time reminding myself where that line is. Mm. Because I often cross it hmm. i'm trying to be you, less you enjoy less. the engagement of you do yeah i love the debate you know that you know yeah. me well forever, you're, you're well educated you're well spoken you you're uh so you have credibility on these topics and and that that's a sharp double-edged sword and i think uh you know understanding how to curse right totally how to best play with that could be a huge blessing in your life but i can understand how it could also be you know really engaging to uh you know to take advantage of others or whatever 
not take advantage of others, but to take advantage of what they're, they might be trying to communicate. So yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah. I get what you're saying. And so that's why I want to bring you on. Cause I was like, let's, let's talk about this. And going back to your sister, Liz, who's the associate athletic, athletic director for BYU specifically her role, was it student athlete relations or something like that? Yeah. It's a senior women administrator, which means she's kind of the top female administrator in the athletic department, as well as, uh, you know, oversees a lot of things when it comes to HR and title nine and, um, and yeah, student life, student involvement, uh, athlete welfare, which is a, a big one when it comes to mental health and physical health and things like that. So um, she's been there a few years and, and is doing some really neat work with BYU. So I obviously am not asking this to Liz, although I'd be very curious what she had to say on this topic, because I'm sure she has a great answer for it. And I'm, this is a genuine question from me, because this is like, again, something that I kind of struggle with. And I think a lot of people struggle with the same concept. So I'm curious, kind of appealing to you because you're kind of cut from the same cloth as Liz, in my mind. Um, in terms we have the of same parents. Like <laughs> you have the same parents, right? That's not everything, but in the same, I think you guys have a similar nature too. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think it's in your nature to, to fight, to be combative. I think you do want to build relationships and mm-hmm. you just love people. That's, you know, in my interactions with Liz, which have yeah. always been positive. Um, I was curious what you think. Where, like... Where do you draw the line when it comes to loving versus enabling? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a similar question to what I asked you earlier about loving and defending the faith. But like, at what point do you view yourself as like, wait a second, maybe I'm enabling this. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe I haven't thought about this before, but I'm curious. Do you yeah. even know what I'm asking exactly? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I think I have never come to a situation. I've thought about it a lot, about that line. But I don't think I've come to a situation in my life where my influence on that person could be considered enabling. Um, and maybe that's just the people I'm around, my family members. Um, so let's talk about that for a second, actually, yeah, if you don't mind. Like, of course. What, what, and, that's just, and this is a thought experiment because I honestly yeah. don't know the answer to this question either. At what point does our influence become enabling? And, it, and for yeah. you specifically, your sphere of influence is your wife, is your two boys. Yeah. Um, but then it expands beyond that. And so I'm curious kind of where you think that ends, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think for me, I think of, um, uh, let's, let's just use a, an example, like a, a example of for context. And, and this is, I'm not thinking of anyone in specifics, but let's, you know, I have friends that are LGBTQ and a member of that community, some in the faith, some who have, have left the church and, um, and, and I, and, you know, I'd consider them close friends, um, and, you know, and people that I've known for a long time of my life. Um, and as close as I am to some of these friends, I don't think my love for them and who they are would be considered enabling them to live, a, you know, to, to live a way that's different than I'm living in essence, or, or I've chosen to live my, my life according to a certain, you know, faith construct. Many of them have chosen to choose a different construct based on, you know, how they identify. And, and no matter how close I am to them, I still don't consider my loving of who they are and who they want to be enabling anything. And, and I, I just don't think that's in my purview of as a disciple, as a friend to them, um, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I think I can truly love someone and, and I don't know if it's, if it's up to me to feel like I'm enabling them. Now, if that brought it, was brought into my immediately immediate family circle with my wife or my children, as you mentioned, or, or something like that, I think the conversation changes there. I would still love first and always love first. When in doubt, I'm yeah. going to love before anything else. Um, but I guess I don't really think as much about enabling someone else. I, I don't, think it's my responsibility and I'm not trying to push the buck off to someone else. Um, but well, they do have the agency. Let's not forget that. And all yeah, this, that's yeah. fair. I totally get that. Yeah. So I, and I, like I, I will love and I will try to live by an example. Um, but I, I'm not going to try to, yeah, control or even teach unless that's in my sphere of influence, uh, because I don't think that's my responsibility. And, and it sounds like I'm pushing off the buck, but in reality, I'm, I'm trying to love first. And, and I guess that's the approach I take. And, and I think everything else takes care of itself. If you truly love someone with a Christ-like pure love, I don't do that well or often. I'm striving to, 
But that kind uh, of pure love I know takes, that. takes everything else away. Um, and so I think that's just why I try to take that love first approach. And I would totally, I mean, there's no question that loving alone is not enabling. And I think some of the variables there are, for example, like they have their agency. Yeah. Like you can love somebody, but that doesn't mean you are enabling them, obviously, right? If Christ, yeah. if if that were the case, then Christ wouldn't tell us that the first great commandment is to love our father, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then also our neighbor is yeah. the second one. It's like almost like, one a and one b in some senses because yeah. i don't think those two things you can actually do one without the other personally but yeah um and i think ultimately if i'm not mistaken what you're saying is that you are you don't really take responsibility for what their actions are your only job right now is you know what i'm just going to love this person and i'm going to do it in a way that i feel comfortable with and that's that, whatever they decide to do and take from my actions as some sort of justification, if they even do that, because mm-hmm. that is to assume that you even have some type of influence of them, exactly. over them and, you, and you're not even assuming that much, then so be it. And that's, that's yeah. an interesting outlook. I think that's actually really important for a lot of people to take on um, in the sense of how we all conduct ourselves as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, I don't want it to be conceived as a passive approach. Uh, I can understand how it might look like that. I think love is a very active, uh, you know, thing that we do. It's it's a choice that hey, you know what? I I'm not going to concern myself with things that, to your point earlier, I may not have influence on, or even if I do have influence on, I don't feel like should be between me and that person, but should be between that person and the Lord. And I hope that they can build that relationship like I've built that relationship. And mine's not perfect, but I found a lot of peace and joy in my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And so I'm going to live my life in a way to where hopefully others can see that peace and joy and and hopefully find some for themselves. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, I mean, outside of that, because this is like the reason why is like I have I have a lot to learn in this regard. And like, I bring it up because it's something I struggle with. Like I, yeah. I there was one thing that I, I have re- believe it or not, I have realized in the past, especially in my own experiences with the atonement that thank goodness, I don't have to judge the people around me. Oh, like man, when you man. think about it that way, you're kind of like, can you imagine the burden that you'd have by thinking I have to actually discipline these people and determine their fate or whatever else? Yeah. Like there's a huge relief there. Now, granted judge, the act of judgment actually has a uh, there's there there are varying definitions of that and I think there I think to some degree it's impossible not to judge people right like you have to make mm-hmm. judgments of who you want your kids hanging out with or vice you know like yeah. things along those lines right variations of that and so um, I mean I mean condemnation ultimately mm-hmm. yeah, and like yeah. their what what their uh, fate may be and to me it's like there is a lot of relief in living thinking like holy cow not only do I not have to worry about them i only have to worry about myself and so yeah. that was a nice realization where it's just kind of like i need i need to stop concerning myself with the actions of others which is a lot of what you're talking about it's like you really should only key in on the, the immediate people around you and not let social media drive kind of how you go after people and i have been so guilty of that before and i have tried to tone it down in the sense of not being vitriolic mm-hmm. and it may, it may not look like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is toned down Harper. Okay. Progress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, I have made an effort and in fact, Hank Smith unblocked me. And so I, uh, awesome. I think he unblocked everybody. I think it was part of his own repentance process or whatever it was from the whole, like <laughs> calling Cal Calvin Burke, Cora whore. But yeah, anyway, um, so I haven't gone after Hank Smith as as uh, readily as I used to. But with that said, I still stand by that he he's a little too soft at times for me, and that's that's his prerogative, I guess. But that's why I throw in the whole idea of like, at what point is he doing this just for popularity? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting. Yeah. It's a fair question. Yeah. Anytime and, and, you have a lot of followers, that's a fair question. <laughs> and so I'll just say, like, he could be soft for you, and that's understandable. And like, if he's not your flavor of ice cream is he someone else's flavor of ice cream you know is he your flavor of ice cream i am a huge fan of him and john by the way's podcast 
they have single-handedly uh, augmented my come follow me study more than anything else and i respect their approach because it's not them waxing eloquent on you know their opinions on come follow me but they bring experts on your mother was one of them she gave a, a wonderful podcast and they bring on experts on church history and the doctrine and covenants and and they foster a really good conversation about things that we could learn in our study both scriptural and historical context that's powerful and so um i really love that podcast and and of course no one in our generation doesn't love and have fond memories of john by the way and you know listening to his tapes or his you know efy or youth conference he was a big part of a lot of our generations growing up and so um i i love the come follow me podcast i do absolutely love the irony of my mom being on their podcast and me just like openly bashing Hank Smith and getting blocked by him. On That's Twitter. fair. <laughs> There's no way he knew that connection existed. Now, granted, I don't think that would have stopped him because he's a better person than me. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of good that he's doing. There's no question. My, And it is. It's like one of those things where it's like, what's the point? And in fact, a lot of my family members even ask. They're like, "What? what's your point? Like, why are hmm. you like, like, why are you? like getting distracted with Hank Smith, like he's on your side. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but also no. <laughs> In my mind, right? Which was ultimately, yeah. like I said, I wrote that whole post when after he blocked me and I was just like, dude, you're better than this. Like you're a smart guy. Like you can clearly be like this real, like, uh, figure in the gospel nowadays that can help bring people, lift them up even more as opposed to just being like this kind of this fluff of, Hey, maybe, maybe you guys can just all love each other a little more. I don't know. And I guess fluff has its place at the end of the day. So at the, I, I couldn't really answer that. Yeah. Besides the fact that I did, I did wonder what his motivation was. Yeah. And, and I think anytime you have a strong following in the gospel, I think that's a fair question to ask. I really do. It's like, what is your motivation? Is your motivation just strictly to bring others to Christ, closer to Christ, and to promote the church and, and his gospel, Christ's gospel, and to help change lives for the better? And I would imagine that every single one of these people have that in their heads, right? Like, mm -hmm. they're not lying to themselves. Like, they would love that. But... I wonder how much of the popularity and the, and the draw to that is in their head as well. And hmm. when Hank Smith specifically creates this program that is meant to be a good supplement to church, but you have to pay to subscribe to it, it does. I start to ask those questions again. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there is a monet monetization aspect to the gospel there, which is the order of Nihor, if you ask me. But. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I, I look at it more simply, and that goes back to my simple minded self of by their fruits, you shall know them. And I think his fruits, uh, you know, and what he's trying to do is do good. And beyond that, you know, if his, you know, if, if we're put off by, you know, a paywall for his content or the fluff or, or, you know, how we approach a certain topics, so be it. But, but I see him as someone of influence that is trying to do good and, and I can get behind that. Um, but, but again, I'm not looking as deeply into it as, as you probably are. And that's fair. And also I would never call you a simple minded person. Um, <laughs> I'd call myself a simple minded person. Well, I, this, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm just saying yeah. that, but it, the, the simplistic view of this is sometimes maybe some of us need a little bit more of that. And that like, I'm basically talking about myself when I say some of us, like maybe I need a more of a simple view of that. Just like uh, maybe Christ didn't really require us as his followers to add complexity to following his gospel. Hmm. That's a powerful thought. I don't know. So like maybe I'm looking too deeply in some regards, but I do feel like you know, uh, as you've been given gifts that are very clear to me, at least that I've mentioned already, I think I've been given gifts too to oh, articulate 100%. certain things in certain ways that are maybe harder for people to to understand right away, and that I can help it them understand it in a way that is a little bit more simple or whatever. And what do I do with that? You know, and that's mm -hmm. I guess what I what I battle in some senses. But. Well. I think, I mean, you are a gifted communicator. Obviously your education is a part of that, but also just, I think that's a God-given gift. And so 
being able to take complex topics and subjects, you know, political, you know, politics is one of them, one that I'm not well versed in, but that you've made your career out of and, and being able to communicate that in a way that's simple and easy to understand um, and accessible. And I think that's very hard to do. A lot of people can wax eloquent on a number of topics, but they will lose people because it's not uh, relatable. And, and I think it's you can make a esoteric lot, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. You can make a lot of topics really accessible for people that may not have the same level of education or research. And, and that's a talent that I've always admired about you. Well, that's the only thing that I have brought you on to, to come on to say was just compliment me. So I, I can do that more. Mission accomplished. <laughs> no, I'm totally joking. But I'll, I'll kind of in closing here, just I don't have much more to say about those topics because I wanted to bring you on to kind of like give, help, help me in my perspective because you clearly have some things that I lack and it's helpful. And I think I, I when I say that I've tried to make more of an effort, honestly, like some of this is just within the past few weeks. Like I remember on Twitter, um, Stacy Harkey, who you actually, I think, you know, do you know him personally? Yeah, I'd, I know you guys I'd, back I'd, and con- I'd consider him a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a great example because he got on Twitter and started kind of going after organized religion and said specifically, like, said that Christ was the, um, the like the OG antagonist towards organized religion. Hmm. And do you remember something like that? Do you yeah, like no, that? no, I I remember that conversation actually, or the the back and forth between uh, on Twitter. Yeah, I didn't really have a back and forth with him, but here's. The, the reason why I bring this up is because, believe it or not, this was me making an effort to not be vitriolic and to not be like going after somebody, so to speak. It was really, um, it was, I'll just read it here. Okay, so I'll read what Stacy Harkey said. He said, I'm going to need some of y'all to take a deep breath and be okay with the nuance and the nuance of saying how Christ was not, a, like he was actually not for organized religion in at least his take. It's okay to acknowledge that something has positive aspect and negative aspects. For example, the church I grew up in has been very helpful and supportive to my family, but it's also been very hurtful and harmful to my family. Does it mean the church is good or bad? It's more complex than that. Or there are historic figures who have positively changed the world, but who have also done awful things. Susan B. Anthony was a racist and Martin Luther King Jr. was a womanizer. Does that make them good or bad? Frankly, treating everything like it's black or white is naive. Embracing nuance can allow us to explore experience, feelings, information without having to force it into a good or bad box. Also, if someone says something hurt them, says something hurt them, and you say no, it didn't. It's good for you, and you sound incredibly ignorant. No, it didn't. It's good for you. You sound incredibly ignorant. Embracing nuance doesn't discredit your own experiences, and if you feel like it does, that sounds like a personal problem you need to explore. Now, a lot of what he said had its merit. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, that's bogus. Like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, obviously. They're like, yeah, some, it's not, things aren't always binary. Like yeah. I agree. It's not always good or bad, black or white. Right. But what I said in response to that, and this is what I was, this is my point by saying that I'm, this is me making an effort, so to speak, because I'm not just coming at him. Like no, mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, me, I just be like, dude, you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And this is why. Um, but I have tried to be better about that. Believe it or not. And this is, <laughs> this is one of those areas. And I said, yes, but it's also better to be positive and acknowledged the organized religion, specifically the one you're referring to, has done vastly more good than bad. Nuanced, sure. Constructive, not so sure. Hmm. It's it's an interesting response. And I think I've got a few opinions. My first opinion, and I say this to you because you're my friend and we have these types of conversation, is is what was the what was your purpose in that response? That's a good question. Um, in fact, it'd be totally fair to ask. I would say my purpose was pointing out that just because things are nuanced, pointing them out can be negative. Now, I know that's rich coming somebody coming from somebody like me who's always negative about BYU sports, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to religion, I think I, I do take a different approach. Mm-hmm. Approach. Right? I am. I am a lot more loyal towards my religion than I am to my football team or basketball fair. team. But that's different. Um, I'm not sure, like, it seems like his purpose is to gain more detractors, so to speak, Mm, and be like, oh, yeah, like, 
there there are problems with the church. And if that's what your focus is, then why would you want to be a part of that organization? Hmm. And so that's kind of why I'm saying like, well, what's your purpose? Is this yeah. constructive? And maybe he would say that and say, look at that and say, yeah, it is constructive because I don't think organized religion is important. So therefore other people shouldn't waste their time with it. And then I would say, I disagree. I think yeah. organized religion is powerful and isn't uh, destructive. And even though it has its negative aspects to it, no question, because whenever you have imperfect men involved in anything, there are gonna, there's going to be fallout in one way or another. It just happens. Yeah. Um, what's the point is my ultimate question towards him. That's why I asked what I did, which if I may, wasn't, I was not yeah. being disrespectful. No, is that no, fair? I don't, yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, I, th I think the unfortunate thing is people on social media don't know you as well as I know you. They probably don't know Stacy. I don't know Stacy well, but I would consider him a friend, um, you know, and, and I think one of the things he brings up that really resonated with me is people talking about other people's experiences like they're their own and, and discrediting them or, and not, and that's not what you did. Um, but I'm just, but that's what really resonated with me in this whole sense, especially on social media, people use social media to share their experiences. And that's a, that's a great thing. You, you Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be, we're sharing things about our life and our experiences and, and people can experience the same thing very differently based on how they were raised, based on context, based on whatever it might be yet for whatever reason, it's very easy for us. And I do this a lot to assume or to say that my experience is the experience or my experience was the way that it should be or or the right way um, or even just this is what I think and everyone needs to know what I think and and I don't know don't always think that that's the case and and so while I agree with a lot of what Stacy was saying there um, and you know understand that he has a different experience with organized religion than I do um, I can't pretend to understand what that's like, but I can acknowledge that it's different. Um, and then with you talking about, which, which I appreciate this about you, um, of taking that, you know, kind of by their fruits, you shall know them. The good that the church and organized religion has done in the world um, is great and and a wonderful opinion to share. I guess, I, in my opinion, that often will start a conversation that's not as constructive. I think in this case, it was just a post and there wasn't really a back and forth. But that's kind of an example of where I usually choose to sit out and and you uh, have engaged in the past. And that's just the difference in, in how we approach things. Uh, not one is right, not one is wrong, but they're just two different approaches to kind of how we decide to share our opinions, defend the faith, which we talked about earlier, which is important and, and has a place. Um, and, you know, being a disciple of Christ, which I know we both wholeheartedly try to be. Um, but we go about it at different ways and that's okay. That's fine. Some I, days better than others. I will say some days <laughs> that's better than others. You and me both. So it's, it's just different approaches. And that's why I love the gospel because it brings in people with different approaches. Heavenly father does not outline exactly how we have to do things. He talks about why we do things. And, and I think that can be really powerful because we all do approach it a little bit differently. Organized religion helps us accomplish that. Right? There are covenants we make that are essential to returning to Heavenly Father that can only happen within certain cons constraints. And, and I recognize that I have a testimony of that. That's something I believe wholeheartedly. Um, but that still leaves a lot of room, as Stacy talked about, for nuance. And, and, and so I, I, I think there's common ground uh, that's, that's easy to be found uh, in, that, in that conversation. I guess that's how I would look no. at it. No, that's fair. That's a great point. Um, yeah, I I really appreciate you coming on, man. I really do. And at the end of the day, this is how I'm going to sign off. And I'd love to hear kind of maybe if you have anything to add to this or just whatever else you may want to talk about. But yeah. at the end of the day, I do think the first question Christ will ask us as our ultimate judge is, did you love, did you love your fellow brethren? Hmm. And only we can answer that honestly, especially. Yeah. And in that moment, everything will be shown to us and we'll, we will be exposed and we will know if we were truly loving our brethren or if we were not. And that's why I think intellectual honesty is one of the single best characteristics any of us can possess because that's what's going to help us inform ourselves of whether or not we actually love the people around us. Hmm.
I love that. And, and I, I get, I can just say amen. And I think that's, that's kind of what I strive to do. If that's the question we're going to be asked, then that's where I'm going to put my focus here in the world is loving others. And I don't have answers. There's a lot of questions I don't have answers for. Um, and I just kind of, you know, don't focus on that, but focus on what I do know, which was the commandment that you just outlined. Heavenly father asked us to love him and to love his, our brothers and sisters and his fellow sons and daughters. And so that's, that's where I put my attention. You do a great job of that. And, and, and that's why we're such good friends. Um, but we take different approaches at it. And, and I love that as well. And I, and that's, that's a beautiful thing about this world is that we're not all the same. Ah, could not agree more on that. Preston, thanks so much for coming on, man. Seriously. Thanks for taking the time. It's a solid hour spending time with you. I know you're busy, dad, husband, uh, workhorse. <laughs> um, BYU is number 15 college football playoff. Let's go. Go freaking Cougs. There's a real New Year Six possibility here. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, yeah, there is. Uh, let's enjoy I mean, the ride. To, technically, they just have to be in the top 12 if there's no other at-large bids. Yeah, that's true. No, it's true. I mean, I mean, that's we're three weeks left in this, or four technically weeks left in the season, three games for BYU left, like, if BYU makes it to number 10 in the playoff, it's like no reason why they can't actually pull it off. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I, I can't crazy. argue against that. But I, I'm not going to overlook USC. I think just I've no. been burned by USC one too many times. I don't care if they don't have a coach. I don't care if they have their leading receiver. Wait, we, how have you been burned by USC? Oh, you, you were at the game when Reggie Bush and Mike Williams. I don't oh, yeah, but we... But no one expected us to win that game. No, no, no. But that's what I'm saying is like, I think there is a true athlete gap between BYU and USC still. Oh, and there's no question about that. But they also, there's also a head coaching gap, quite literally. <laughs> they don't have one. Did you see that Clay Helton just signed to be Georgia Southern's <laughs> yeah. head coach? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. That's got to be the first time that's ever happened that a team that was scheduled to play a coach is now playing that same in the same season is yeah. playing that same coach on a different team it's that's got to be the first time that's ever happened yeah dude it'd be nuts if we played usc like the first game of the season and then played georgia southern like yes. how we are now and like you play <laughs> both times that would be the uh, most one of the most bizarre things to ever happen it would no i am i'm loving the cougars this year i think you know we have our frustrations on defense and i have to remind myself I played high school football. I do not belong. My opinions do not belong with that of Coach Tuiaki. I want to think I know what we need to do, but his second half versus Virginia converted me to whatever you know he he has in store. I loved his game plan, his adjustments. I mean, they they scored those six straight touchdowns in the first half, and then seven points in the second half. I mean, I a lot of respect to the defensive staff. Well, see, that's where you and I differ because I played high school football, and that's why. I can criticize Coach Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Alta people, full of your football pride. Alta elitists. Um, no, you. I, I actually brought this up on the last episode. I, I talked about how, like, as frustrating as Tuiaki can be to watch, because he can be. Like, this whole totally, bend and break philosophy yeah. is like, we. It, you have these long sustained drives that just get drawn out. And if they end up punching it in, you're just like, what the heck was that all for? Yeah. Um, you have to give credit where credit is due, which is something that Satake asked for. BYU only allowed seven points in the second half of that game. And yeah. it was Tuiaki's decision to drop eight. And that seems like it was the difference. I don't, I don't yeah. think you could really argue against that. So Credit where credit is due. And you know what? You're right, man. You just got to enjoy the seasons while, while it's lasting. And I have not done the best in that. We're seven and two against a solid schedule, 15 in the playoff. Like, let's go, man. Yeah, let's, let's have some fun. Do. This is, and and like the, the brightest spots are ahead. Our team is young. The Big 12 is two years away. Like, let's go. Kalani's locked in. Incredible. Our we're, recruiting we're seems to be yes. going up too. Totally. We are. Honestly, honestly our Utah fan friends may like vehemently disagree and even take like offense at what I'm about to say, but I'm not sure if you're a recruit in Utah, I'm not sure why you go to the U over BYU at this stage right now. Yeah. Because I think the, the big, big 12, 12 has leveled the playing field. That. 100%. That's exactly why. That's yeah. exactly why. Not only has the big 12 leveled the playing field, but BYU is the hot item right now. With that said, Utah's doing great. Like yeah. they actually are have bounced totally. back very well this season and all the credit goes uh, to that team for bouncing back, especially in such a tough time for their team in the last year. But yeah, um, 
I'd love props to them, but I just think when you compare just kind of the excitement surrounding both programs, I think BYU has the edge there. I yeah. think I'll choose I'll choose a player's coach. I'll you know, at the end of the day, if yeah. if all is said and done, I I, I respect oh. the heck out of Coach Witt. He is one heck right. of a football coach, but I'll choose the player coach. Absolutely. Anyway, Preston, thanks again, man. Really, really appreciate it. Tell the family I said hi and always wishing you the best. Hey, thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk again soon. As everything's changing my mind Goes to a different time Old love I remember falling so madly There must have been magic in the valley And a rhythm in the night Cause I could almost see it Did you fade right? takes time, I, I, if it takes time, I.